Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. I'm your host, John Corker. Coming up on today's show, I crashed the Doctors for America presidential inauguration party to speak with executive board member Dr. Chris Lillis. Dr. Lillis shares his insights on the future of American health care under the Affordable Care Act and the important role that physicians must play in order to ensure that future is a bright one. We have one of the most trusted voices when it comes to our public debate about health policy. We are on the front lines. We are the ones taking care of patients. And we need to be comfortable and empowered to use our voices to make sure legislators who might not have our perspective, our clinical perspective, to become involved in the public debate. More from our conversation with Doctors for America Executive Board Member Dr. Chris Lillis, right now on Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm John Corker. Last week, Radio Rounds director Lakshman Swamy spoke with Dr. Richard Levin, president and CEO of the Arnold P. Gold Foundation for Humanism and Medicine. For more information on the Gold Foundation, please visit their website at humanism-in-medicine.org. This week, we sit down with Doctors for America executive board member Dr. Chris Lillis. I caught up with Dr. Lewis at the DFA presidential inauguration party back in January. We're here at Elephant and Castle on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. for the Doctors for America inauguration party. I'm joined here by Chris Lillis, one of the board of directors at Doctors for America. Chris, thanks for joining us on Radio Rounds today. Thanks so much. It's fun to meet you. It's good to meet you, too, and I understand that you're a physician. Do you practice here in town? I practice in Fredericksburg, Virginia. It's about an hour south of Washington, D.C., And paint the picture for us tonight. Describe the excitement in the room here at the inauguration party. The excitement tonight is very typical of our Doctors for America gatherings. We have an annual leadership conference where people from all over the country tend to get together and strategize how we can help improve health care in the United States. But tonight we're coming to celebrate all the accomplishments of the last four years. We've been strong advocates of the Affordable Care Act, seeing the Affordable Care Act passed in 2010, and then the, the victory with the Supreme Court ruling the law constitutional. We're celebrating all that's been accomplished in the last four years, and we're looking forward to the future. You mentioned the important Supreme Court decision this past summer, basically saying that the law's main tenet, the, the individual mandate, was in fact constitutional. One thing that they did change, though, was they didn't allow the government to require states to expand Medicaid. Describe for us some of the challenges that decision has posed for implementation of the law. No, I appreciate the question because I think that's going to be the next significant priority for Doctors for America in 2013. As of this moment, a minority of states across the country have accepted the uh, Medicaid expansion dollars, whereas uh, a small minority of states have also rejected the Medicaid expansion, and several states are on the fence. Our challenge in 2013 is to describe the not only the human benefits, covering millions more people in terms of having access to health care, but also touting the financial benefits to each individual state. Having federal dollars to help cover uninsured will lift the burden from physicians and hospitals who currently are providing uncompensated care 
It'll create new jobs because as we enroll more people in health insurance, there will be a greater need for more nurses, more doctors, more ancillary services to help serve those people and their medical needs. And one thing that hospitals willingly gave up in the negotiations for the Affordable Care Act in expectation that they would have more paying Medicaid patients when this law was implemented were their disproportionate share hospital payments uh, or dish payments as they're referred to in the media. Basically, those are extra payments through Medicaid to hospitals that provide a disproportionate share of care to uninsured patients, specifically underrepresented patients. So for teaching hospitals and, and large hospitals that typically have received those payments in states where the governors are refusing federal funding for Medicaid expansion. Describe the pickle, if you will, that that they're left in. Yeah, there are several types of hospitals right now who are in a pickle, as you described it. County hospitals that are are largely funded through local governments, um, inner city hospitals, and teaching hospitals, as you mentioned. What they've always been given from both state and federal sources are monies that help cover their losses on uncompensated care. And there's an expectation that with the intention of the Affordable Care Act to cover 30 million additional Americans, that the size of the uncompensated care tab that we leave our hospitals every year would shrink. Now, with the Supreme Court uh, allowing Medicaid expansion to be optional for states, it has created a, a significant conundrum. And from my understanding, the hospitals are working hard to make sure that Medicaid dollars flow into the states from the federal government in order to reduce the number of uninsured patients that they see each day. And Chris, what do you think is the biggest challenge that faces the administration in the coming four years as it pertains to ACA implementation? Well, I think the next big challenge is just how do we actually achieve enrollment of 30 million new people? You know, it sounds pretty benign. We're offering health insurance to, to citizens that otherwise did not have access but the truth is, is there, there's a great bit of work that has to go into building the exchanges for private health insurance, ramping up the capabilities of state Medicaid offices to make sure that they can handle the new numbers of patients. You know, a place like Texas, there are a million citizens in Texas who can benefit from Medicaid expansion. In my home state of Virginia, it's about 400,000 people. Each state is different in its size. But places like Texas and California are going to have significant challenges just with the num vast number of patients who will be eligible. And so that implementation is something that I think the administration is aware of, nonprofits are aware of, and are now gearing up for a push, a public education campaign so that people can understand what benefits are available to them. But switching gears here, one of the big topics in the news over the last two months since the horrible tragedy in Connecticut has been gun safety firearm safety in America. And one thing that is mentioned on the front page of your website right now is support for the president's proposal for sweeping gun safety legislation. Can you tell me a little bit about what Doctors for America sees as desirable for such legislation? Well, at Doctors for America, we want to focus on the public health aspects. Essentially, every year in the United States, there are 30,000 preventable deaths. 18,000 deaths from firearm suicides and 12,000 firearm-related homicides. What's interesting is that it's been insidious over the years how the science has been attacked in this realm. There have been restrictions placed on the CDC in terms of studying gun violence and understanding how we can prevent gun violence. There were even provisions in the Affordable Care Act 
uh, that are tucked into the fine print where questions of how and when physicians could ask their patients about firearm ownership and how that relates to counseling individuals about public health. A fight we were recently involved in in Florida emerged when the Florida legislature essentially tried to prohibit physicians, specifically pediatricians, from asking about firearm ownership in the home. What we're taught in medical schools is it's important to catalog any and all health risks for our patients. And having a firearm in the home of where young children live, unfortunately, is a significant health risk because children don't understand the lethal potential of firearms. As physicians, we need to be able to counsel our patients about responsible gun ownership, safe gun ownership, preventing unwanted homicides, suicides, and even accidental deaths. And unfortunately, every day, children in our country are victims of accidental gun deaths. And we want to be a part of that education campaign to foster responsible gun ownership and hopefully also to see the, the lethal potential of, of individuals who are intent on committing mass homicides to have limited potential. So fewer assault rifles and fewer magazines filled with 50 and 30 rounds. Um, so this is something that's going to take a, a broad effort, efforts in the realm of uh, improved mental health safety nets to make sure that individuals have treatment they need but also attack this from a scientific perspective. Make sure we understand all of the elements that, that have led to uh, the sad fact that we've lost more Americans to accidental homicide and suicide gun violence in this country than we have in all of the wars combined since World War II. Where does that Florida gun gag legislation stand right now? What is its status? To the best of my recollection, that, that's, that legislative item was defeated. And uh, it's an important point that physicians have nothing coming in between the physician-patient relationship. Unfortunately, I think legislators who don't have experience in the exam room sometimes uh, are pursuing an ideological agenda when they're not taking into account the sanctity of the physician-patient relationship. And so a, a good deal of our campaign in Florida had to deal with protecting physicians' First Amendment rights and making sure we have the ability to counsel our patients appropriately. And what's interesting is that opponents of the administration's proposals in, in terms of gun safety legislation are taking the tack now to accuse physicians of being co-opted to be an arm of the government, essentially to be cataloging gun owners in some seditious way. But that's, that's not the case at all. In fact, physicians just want to uphold the well-being of their patients as a primary motivator. And understanding of firearms in the home and counseling gun safety is simply meeting our objectives of protecting the health of our patients. Chris, as a practicing physician, have you ever had a circumstance where you had to counsel a patient on gun safety and where, where you felt that information was really important to your treatment plan for the patient? I think the most common circumstance that I encounter, and it's unfortunately on a fairly routine basis, are with my patients who are, are clinically depressed, suffering an episode of major depression. Understanding if there's a firearm in the home helps me understand what the absolute risk is to my patients. Unfortunately, sometimes with clinical depression and other mental illnesses, homicidal thoughts come about. And again, understanding if there's the lethal potential of a firearm in the home is critical to how I counsel the patient to move forward. Is a psychiatric hospitalization necessary just to protect the health and well-being of my patient and, and their family around them? Um, so yes, this is a common circumstance because the rate of depression in the United States is significant um, and, uh, and rates of mental illness and certainly those without access to mental health services, it's really a profound problem right now. 
And you bring up a really important piece of this issue in mental health coverage in the United States. Where do some of the cracks or deficiencies lie in our mental health system, and how can we specifically work towards shoring those up? Well, I think there's a number of provisions that we need to seek and seek vigorously. One is a so-called mental health parity. Right now, someone like myself, a primary care physician, is likely paid significantly more per encounter than a psychologist or a psychiatrist who's providing mental health services to our our same patients, our shared patients. Um, I think when we think about the uninsured, their access to mental health services is based solely on the generosity of local organizations like churches and uh, free mental health clinics that provide it. Um, There are huge cracks in that safety net. And patients who, especially in the very, very rare circumstance of paranoid schizophrenics, who tend to have very violent ideations, uh, they're often victims of homelessness. They're victims of extreme poverty because for a variety of circumstances, they ended up on their own. And without having a mechanism to to provide them mental health services, it's a huge gap. We really appreciate you taking the time out of this great Doctors for America party to talk to us today on Radio Rounds. But what can doctors in America get excited about? Physicians, physicians in training, everybody involved with healthcare. What can we ex- be excited about for Obama's second term? You were a nonpartisan organization, and so what I want to encourage all medical students, physicians in training, and practicing physicians is that we have one of the most trusted voices when it comes to our public debate about health policy. We are on the front lines. We are the ones taking care of patients. And we need to be comfortable and empowered to use our voices to make sure legislators who might not have our perspective, our clinical perspective, to become involved in the public debate. We can do a great deal better with educating the public about the benefits of prevention, about the benefits of coordinated care, about the benefits of good regular behaviors, things like diet and exercise. It's it's amazing that some very simple measures could potentially eliminate 75% of the healthcare spending we do in this country. And yet we, we have a lot of national conversations around the deficit and debt when the truth is, is uh, it's, it's our, our healthcare spending that's going to bankrupt us. So physicians, medical students, residents, fellows, getting involved in the debate is, is really the most critical piece, regardless of your political persuasion or ideological background. But to bring constructive suggestions to the table to not only help the health of our population, but the fiscal health of our nation, I think is the, is the, the prime motivator for Doctors for America. And, you know, we're excited to, to be a vehicle for clinicians when they want to help improve the health of their communities. Chris, thanks again for joining us on Radio Rounds and enjoy the rest of this historic evening. Thanks so much. We're looking forward to this. We've been working very hard, and uh, tonight I think it's just about enjoying each other's company and getting reconnected from my colleagues across the country. You're listening to Radio Rounds, and I'm John Corker. That was Dr. Chris Lillis, Executive Board Member for Doctors for America. For more information about DFA or to get involved in their work, please visit their website at www.drsforamerica.org. We hope you'll join us for rounds next week as we feature our second installment from Pulse, Voices from the Heart of Medicine. Radio Rounds host Imran Ali will be reading Justin Sanders' Deja Vu, a first-person narrative describing Dr. Sanders' experience in primary care in New York City. In the meantime, remember that you can download podcasts of all past episodes. 
Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit www.radiorounds.org. You can also contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter. All of that information at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. Sponsored by the American Medical Association. Providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. Radio Rounds is also proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network online at studentdoctor.net. Find answers to your questions about medical school or residency programs. Ask questions in our online forums and get answers quickly. It's fast, easy, and available now at studentdoctor.net. Of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds or of the Wright State University Boonshoff School of Medicine. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone, and have a great week. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm John Corker, and one day, I'll be your doctor.